invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 1. We are finishing the chapter this morning, beginning in verse 21. We are continuing our series through the book of Isaiah. This is a book that's full of honesty and of hope. It is a reality that every person here needs to be restored. From the young to the old, we all know the truth about ourselves. And thankfully, God is all about restoration. He is about many things, but here in Isaiah, he tells us how God redeems his people. The Lord, in fact, does save. Isaiah chapter 1 beginning in verse 21. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first, and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired. And they shall all blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender and his work a spark. And both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we know that all of it is inspired. Although man's hand may have penned it, it is your words given to us. God, I pray that your word will not fall on deaf ears this morning, but you will open our hearts to receive it. You will help us to understand your word. Help us to see not only how it applies to us, but to our church and to our community, to our neighbors. How everyone needs to hear this good word. Father, I pray for all of us here this morning on the live stream, from the young to the old, this word is for all of us. Lord, I pray for those who are battling sickness this morning. We pray that you will heal them of it. Any physical ailments or spiritual ailments, Lord, their spiritual needs, we come to you humbly asking that you will supply our needs. Lord, we pray especially for our children 
in this church. Lord, they are precious to us, but Lord, we know that they are created in your image. Father, we ask that you will save each and every one of them, that they will become new creations who reflect Christ. Father, we pray for those who are in affliction this morning. We pray for the fatherless who need comfort and care. Lord, we know that we're not the only church in our area, so we pray for other like-minded fellowships. Lord, I pray for fellow pastors that they will preach the Word as it's intended, that they will come with boldness, that they will speak truthfully, and that all of your people will be strengthened this day. Lord, we pray for our area. We pray for our nation. We ask that you will have mercy upon all of us. Help us, Lord God, to turn to you, to repent of sin in all areas. Lord, we don't hold to a political party. We don't hold to any political leader as the savior of our country, we turn to you. We ask that you will make us holy for you are holy. You are our hope. Father, we pray for fellow church planters that you will give them the means that they need to be sustained this morning, that they will have the financial backing that they need, but more importantly, that you will keep them to yourself that they will grow in knowledge and wisdom and in fervor for Christ, that Christ will be a treasure in these church plants. Lord, You have sent out brothers and sisters all over the world, some of whom are standing in the midst of unbelievable persecution this morning. Lord, we pray that You will strengthen them, that the Gospel will go forth from their lips that they will see the prize that is coming, that it's not anything we can grab hold of in this world, but they will have Christ. Lord, we pray that You will build us up, build Your people, and may You be glorified. It's in Your name I pray. Amen. I am certain, for those of you who have children that at times you have been thrown into a situation where two of your children were fighting. I know that's rare. I know it may be shocking to hear that other parents have children that they need to kind of referee. When it's happened, you're given two different points of view as to what's going on. If you don't have children... I know you've been there as well. You were the one who was giving your point of view at one time. Both children have convinced themselves that they are right. But they both can't be right. Those are times when parents need God's wisdom. That situation is a microcosm to what happens in life all the time. We have an entire justice system that presents two sides. And the judge needs to filter the exaggerations from the truth. People can convince themselves of the most outrageous things 
thinking that they're right. You and I, every person, we have the ability to create an entire worldview that is so far from the truth, but yet wholeheartedly we believe it to be right. You can have two people go through the exact same circumstances, exactly the same thing, and have a completely different outlook on it. Two different perspectives of the same life experience. This is the case from when we are children all the way through adulthood, all the way through our entire life. Our circumstances tend to dictate how we view life. Our condition impacts our point of view. If we think we're well, then life is good. If we find ourselves in want or we're depressed, then it's not going too well. Thus was the case in Isaiah's day. When Isaiah was given a vision from God, Uzziah was king of Judah. Israel had already been split into two kingdoms. Uzziah ruled the southern kingdom, Judah. And it went well for him. He reigned for many years. He had a long and prosperous reign. The enemies of Judah had been beaten back. Other countries paid Uzziah tribute. The army was strong. Jerusalem was full of activity and lots of construction was going on. In this strength, Uzziah and the people enjoyed peace in a thriving society. But from God's perspective, which is what Isaiah gives us, Things were not so good. There's another perspective. The people were actually the complete opposite from what they thought. The people were not thriving. The people were dwindling. They were deteriorating on the inside. Uzziah and the people became proud. Later today, I invite you to turn to 2 Chronicles 26 and read that for yourself. It tells us that Uzziah became unfaithful to the Lord and the people with him. Uzziah took privileges that were not his. He went into the temple to burn incense upon the altar, and only the priests were supposed to do that. And God struck him with leprosy, and he had the leprosy the rest of his life. In Isaiah chapter 1, we're told about the people. They had become like Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a drama unfolding for us in Isaiah. And there's two perspectives. The people thought everything was fine. But God saw corruption He saw immorality and wickedness. That tells us that material prosperity is never the scale we want to use for right standing with God. 
The condition of the people were unholy. Accepting this truth should bring conviction of sin by God's grace leading to worship. We talked about that last week. But the people were blind to it. It's as if Isaiah had been given a light into the people's hearts that the people themselves couldn't see. Their condition has alienated the people from God. They need renewal. What we've had here in chapter 1 is an explanation for what's really going on with the people and the only way for their relationship with God and His people to be restored. It's really a summary of the entire book of Isaiah. Last week we saw God's invitation to be cleansed, to remove the evil, and to return to obedience. The people were worse off than what they realized. And the reality is they cannot do anything about it. They cannot restore themselves. There's nothing in them, there's nothing in their lives that will help. They are completely incapable of doing anything. They've become unfaithful and they need to repent. So who are those who will repent? Everyone has the need to repent, but who will do that? Who will acknowledge their guilt before God and who will turn away from the lie of self-righteousness and turn to God and be restored? Like parents thrown into the circumstances of their children, we all need wisdom from God to know. In the sovereign wisdom of God, Isaiah tells us, Here in our text, a vision of two cities is introduced. It will be a picture that Isaiah returns to again and again all throughout his book. Those who understand the vision will then understand who it is that will repent. In verse 21, God's people are described as a city. This city was intended to be faithful to the one who built the city, who ruled over it, who loved the people and cared for them. The people were to honor him and obey his laws. Our text gives the city a name, Zion. Back in verse 8, there was a precursor to this. We were introduced to Zion, referring to the daughter of Zion in verse 8. Geographically, Zion is the city of Jerusalem. Remember, Isaiah said that his vision from God was given to him concerns Judah and Jerusalem, God's people. Zion is a place where God dwells, it's a place of paradise. In the city, the blessing of God is bestowed upon the people simply because the presence of God is there. Jerusalem was to be a place 
where the presence of God was known throughout the land and among all peoples. But this was not the case. They were a sinful people, laden with iniquity. Many of you know John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, a great Puritan from the 17th century, where the main character, Christian, travels from the city of destruction to the celestial city. It's an incredible allegory to help us understand the vast difference between the cities. Bunyan uses images from Isaiah and other parts of Scripture to describe both cities. The faithful city that God established has become unfaithful. It is unrighteous. It's full of injustice. Not being what the people should be. But there's a reversal in our text in verse 26 that happens. There, Isaiah gives God's promise to restore, to turn the unfaithful city into a faithful city, a city of righteousness. How will God do this? Like everywhere else in Scripture, we're not left to try and guess or figure this out. Verse 27, the very next verse, is key. Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. It's through redemption that God's people will be restored. This people are running straight toward ruin. And God is going after them to redeem and to restore righteousness. The unfaithful and disobedient will be renewed through redemption that God provides. This is a relevant message for us today, isn't it? Many in the church have become unfaithful. There are impurities in the church that need to be cleansed. If you look around, we seem prosperous. But for many, the gospel has been twisted into seeking prosperity in worldly success. The truth has become corrupted. Scripture is not upheld or desired. Holiness has become optional. Sin is ravaging Lives. Even if this is not you, be rest assured you still have indwelling sin that needs dealt with. We need sanctified. We need cleansed. It's something we cannot do ourselves. We are completely incapable of doing anything about it. We need God in His mercy and grace to purge us of sin. He needs to redeem us. Redemption is what God does to save all of His people. Zion shall be redeemed. We can say the church shall be redeemed. God will restore The law that God gave was to uphold justice, but there's no one who upholds 
the law. We are all lawbreakers. We all have had a room in the unfaithful city. God steps in and He pays the price for us breaking the law. The payment is death and He knows that our death, our death won't pay the payment in full. If we had to pay it, it will take all eternity to pay the debt. So God pays that debt with His own life so that we don't have to. He restores His justice and He gives righteousness to those who repent. Here in verses 21 to 31, God gives us the complete story of the Gospel. God didn't wait until the New Testament. He shared it. He explained it all the way back in Isaiah's day that God would redeem His people. He would bring back justice. He would cause repentance and His people to live in righteousness. And because you and I have the benefit of knowing that Isaiah was given the vision of Christ, we know that redemption is given through Jesus Christ. It must come through Christ. There's no cooperating with God. There's no working to redeem ourselves. There's grace. There's conviction of sin leading to repentance where you and I can experience redemption. Isaiah's given this and he speaks to God's people and it's put into God's word and he's speaking to you today. By the grace of God, through faith in Christ, the Lord restores you. He makes you repentant and righteous. Chapter 1 closes by giving hope, but also a warning. It's not a hope in ourselves or in what we can do. From our perspective, it may not be that bad. Maybe from your perspective, your life is just fine. But we need God's perspective. We need to see how we really are. And it's framed in a sure hope that God's Word never fails. When God says, I will, and when He says, it shall be, they are truths that stand for all time. Looking at the text more closely, there are three parts to the end of the chapter. Verses 21 to 23 is a repulsive charge. Verses 24 to 27 is the redemptive promise. And then verses 28 to 31 is the ruinous warning. So we have the repulsive charge, the redemptive promise, and the ruinous warning. First, the repulsive charge, verses 21 to 23. I already mentioned that the unfaithful city in verse 21 is God's people. Listen once again to the charge that God makes. How the unfaithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. The people have become repulsive to God. They are everything that He abhors. 
They no longer hold to the covenant. He claimed his people for himself, but they have turned from him to other loves. But it's not the kind of love that God has. They have a lust for cheap thrills that leave deep wounds and degrades their dignity. They turned from God to idolatry. People never just turn away from God. We're all made to worship. So if it's not God that we're worshiping, it's something else that we turn to. Whatever we put our confidence in, whatever we look to in order, in order to overcome trials in our life, that becomes our God. And it shapes who we become, what we desire and what we value. Righteousness that was once welcomed has now become a gathering of murderers. And they've all fallen into the lowest depravity possible. This was not just a minor slip-up or a casual misjudgment. There has been a change of heart in the people. The pure have become impure. God compares what they have to silver that's become dross. That's the impurities that are thrown out when metal is melted down. It's worthless. It's discarded. What they enjoy is like wine that's been watered down. It's lost its substance. Sin promises a lot, but it always dissatisfies. It sours, it robs us of what really matters. The damage of sin is real and it's severe. The people were to be looked up to, their princes, the leaders are described as rebellious and taking things that aren't theirs. They weren't looking for justice. They weren't looking after the less fortunate. They were selfish and they loved getting more things for themselves rather than being lovers of God. Ray Ortland calls this first section, these first couple of verses, a heart cry of sorrow from heaven the people's attitude toward God and toward each other is a tragedy. It's heartbreaking. How this unfaithful city is, is an indication how you and I are apart from grace. What we see in Isaiah is really revealing about all of us, of every human heart. It's one thing to say that we have sin. It's another to look within ourselves and see that we are utterly sinful and repulsive to God. That we've become rebels and thieves. That we are lovers of self and not God. We are not after justice. We're after selfish gain. Therefore, in verse 24, God declares He will get relief. He will avenge Himself and that He turns His hand against us. He will get rid of all that is against Him. In this verse, Isaiah uses three names of God. The Lord, the Lord of hosts, and the Mighty One of Israel. They tell of God's authority, of His total dominance, 
and his absolute power over all things. Three names of God given here. These names are saying that these people have been putting themselves against the one true all-powerful God. In this case, his wrath, God's wrath, is not aimed at his enemies. They're not aimed at the enemies of Israel. It's pointed right at the city. Right at the people who've become his enemy. This is telling. This was to be God's people. What this says is that it's not automatic that you will be a child of God. You can't inherit it. It's not passed from person to person. God's people, His children, are those who do His will, who follow Him, who love Him, who are obedient to Him. And those who are rebels, he considers enemies. Then in verses 25 and 26, God makes a promise. I will turn my hand against you. I will restore. God is doing two things here at once. The words turn and restore are actually the same Hebrew word. Turn here means to return. I will return my hand Upon you, I will discipline you. I will do the difficult things of purging impurity from you. I will give you good leaders once again who will uphold my justice. God's hand against me is not always a bad thing. It can be. It's kind of scary going through from verse 21 to where we are now. It can be a bad thing, but it's not always a bad thing. God can undo us, but here He promises to purify through pain so that His people will once again be a city of righteousness, that they'll be a faithful city. This leads to verse 27, to the redemptive promise. God will redeem His people. He doesn't say how here, but He does say that He will have justice and righteousness at the same time. Redemption will be by justice and by righteousness. And those in Zion will repent. Let me pause for a minute. This is not all we have. The promise of redemption is not a broad, generic concept. Scripture tells us exactly what redemption is and how it comes. The word redemption simply means rescue. In certain places, it means rescued or freed by payment, by a ransom. A ransom being paid to free you. To be saved... We say that a lot in the church. Are you saved? To be saved, to be redeemed, we must be rescued from our sin and uncleanness by a payment. We need to understand here what Isaiah is saying. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. 
Hold your place in Isaiah, if you will, and turn with me to Ephesians in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 7. Here in Ephesians, Paul tells us exactly what redemption is. We don't need to guess. We don't have to try and figure it out. We can grab hold of what redemption is this morning. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 7. In Him we have redemption. That's Christ, the beloved from verse 6. Through His blood, so in Christ, through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Isaiah didn't mention the details of redemption, but we have it right here. Isaiah only knew that redemption was coming. He didn't know how. He knew that justice and righteousness would be fully satisfied. But Paul gives us details here in Ephesians. Redemption is the forgiveness of sin, according to Ephesians. Redemption is the forgiveness of sin by the outpouring of God's lavished grace through the blood of Christ. Redemption is the forgiveness of sin by the outpouring of God's lavish grace. That means the complete overflowing being poured upon you forever grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ is payment for your sins. Redemption comes through the death of Christ. And Isaiah says those who repent receive that Redemption. Not everyone will be redeemed. Who receives redemption? Who are those in the faithful city of righteousness? It's those who are in Christ. You must be in Him. That's not everyone in the world, it's not unbelievers. In the Ephesians passage prior to this one, Paul says it's those who are chosen, those predestined for adoption according not to them but to God's will. They will be the ones who repent and be made righteous. They will be restored and made to go through painful discipline to live in the city to the praise of God's glorious Grace. Redemption is available for all. You and I need to go out from here letting everyone know that redemption is available for all. Everyone is offered redemption, but only believers in Christ receive it. Only believers in Christ have righteousness while Christ upholds justice and righteousness on their behalf. 
and Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, the way for Christian to make it to the celestial city was to enter on the king's highway, the straight and narrow way, which had a gate on it. It was that gate that evangelist directs Christian to go to. Only by entering through the gate would Christian make it to the city. Jesus identifies himself as the gate in Matthew 7. Those in the unfaithful city are restored because God is faithful to his word to redeem those who repent, and that comes through Christ. That's why we call him Savior, our Redeemer. Jesus Christ paid the cost to justify us being made righteous and live with him in the faithful city. If you have repented of your sin, if you are following Christ today, you have a room in the faithful city of righteousness because Christ has secured that room for you. There are some, though, that will not be redeemed. We're given a warning. In verses 28 to 31, we can call it a ruinous warning. Isaiah was given the privilege of foreseeing the faithful city, and he speaks to every generation that has come since he was there, and he says we all have a decision that we need to make. What city are we going to live in? There are some who will not be redeemed. And the warning is, those who were not, who will not be redeemed, they will be destroyed. Maybe there's a softer way to put it, but God in His sovereign wisdom has given us truth and we need to hear exactly how God tells us and how serious this is. We need to take it for what He says. Isaiah was given this privilege saying, that some will be in the faithful city while there are some who will not be redeemed, those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. I pray that you see the mercy of God in this warning. Just pause for a second. We're all given this warning. God isn't just making up His mind and seeing, okay, some have made it from the unfaithful to the faithful city, and those left in the unfaithful, they'll be consumed. God's not doing that. Since Isaiah's day, since the unfaithful city has existed, we've had this warning from God. I hope you see God's mercy in this. God could simply consume us because we're all rebels and sinners, But before he brings an end to all sin, before he gets rid of all his enemies, he's given us this morning. Will we repent and put our hope in God's redemption? Or will we remain rebels and sinners? Do you want to be redeemed or do you desire earthly things? Verse 29 says, those who forsake the Lord want things of this earth. God is making a comparison here. 
You can have the all-satisfying, everlasting God, a love for Him, or anything else, and you're simply unsatisfied. You are being redeemed if you are going toward the faithful city, or you will be consumed because you're in the unfaithful city. There's no in-between here. Verse 29 says, Those who forsake the Lord want the things of earth. They choose foolish idolatry of created things instead of worship of the living God. Once again, Ray Ortland is helpful here. He says, We think it doesn't matter. My decisions, my attitudes and thoughts and feelings, do they really make that much difference? Again, that's one perspective. God is saying His perspective, every moment of your life matters to me. Your choices have lasting repercussions. That's why I'm confronting you with the truth. So what's your perspective? What perspective on your life do you have? Do you think your life is fine? Do you see what God sees? Has your sin deceived you and you find yourself desiring the trees and the gardens of this world? Or are you living for God? Or are you living in the unfaithful city where you deserve to reap what you've sown? Or have you been redeemed? Have you been called out and saved from the destruction? Has Christ saved you? Is He restoring you to His righteousness? If you will only repent and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you will be saved and you will be brought into the faithful city. This text doesn't leave room for you to ignore it. There's only two perspectives here. You can't create your third. That's actually part of the other perspective. There's only two. You will either have sand revealed that's under your feet and you will fall, or this text will wash the sand from under your feet and you'll see a rock that you can stand on there. It reveals the rock of Christ that is solid ground for you. The redemption of God is not for everyone. But the question is, is it for you? Those in Christ have it. It is secured. God promises this redemption will never come to harm. It will never be taken away. You will safely arrive one day in the faithful city and be counted righteous. And one day be made righteous. Only in Christ. It doesn't end with the forgiveness of sin. It leads to restoration and abundant life in the righteousness of Christ. So I want to end today with four words that begin with R. It's kind of the summary of the sermon. Remember four R's. Redemption comes in Christ. 
which, which in, ushers in redemption comes in Christ, which ushers in repentance and restoration and leads to righteousness. So redemption, repentance, restoration, righteousness. And what you see there is the process from being justified to being sanctified to one day being glorified. It's all God's doing in Christ. So we can experience this. This is a real experience that God's people get to go through. So make the decision. Be redeemed. Repent and be restored. And enjoy the righteousness of Christ forever and ever. Let's pray.